And he took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Luke chapter 22, verse 19. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Jesus' death on a cross that we will remember together in the liturgy tomorrow on Good Friday. His death on a cross doesn't interpret itself. It doesn't explain itself. If you uh, were to take a picture of Christ on the cross and show it to a Martian, the Martian wouldn't understand what was happening. He, all, all you would get from a picture was that a man was dying. Who that man is, why he's dying, why he's dying then and in that way, none of that is explained just by the cross itself. Right? We actually need uh, the explanation to be supplied from, from outside the cross. In uh, the later season of Jesus' ministry, at, at several points in the Gospels, he prophesies to the apostles that he's going to die. Right? And the, the apostles famously don't really understand what he's getting at. Only once, prior to tonight, prior to mon- the, the night before he died, only once in his whole ministry, as recorded in the Gospels, does he explain why he's going to die. He says it's going to happen. And then only with a phrase. He just says, well, the Son of Man will give his life as a ransom for many. That's uh, in Mark 10.45. Um, ransom is that great word that really gets at the very heart of the Gospel, right? The, the, a payoff to buy back some, something or someone who's valuable. Right? That's us. We're the valuable one in God's eyes. He's the ransom. This is the great message of the gospel, which is why it's actually surprising to me that Jesus only mentions it once and kind of offhandedly in his ministry up until the very night before he dies. And it's tonight where Jesus explains why he is going to die. And the thing that he uses to explain the cross is communion. Right? The institution of the Lord's Supper, it's this meal, this spiritual meal, this extraordinary meal that Jesus is saying, this is how you're supposed to understand the meaning of what's going to happen tomorrow when, I, when he dies. It's the lens, the angle of, of our interpretation. In the first Eucharist, Jesus explains to his disciples that now the new covenant is about to be cut. That's the, the Old Testament language. They would say, you don't make a covenant, you cut a covenant because it always involved a sacrifice. Right? And he says, this is my, the, my blood of the new covenant. Right? It's, it's like all along, Jesus in his ministry has been speaking in parables and he's been running away from the crowd when they try and seize him as king. But now, right before he's about to die, he kind of pulls the veil off entirely and he lays it all out. The new covenant you know, this is all matter of fact to us now who live into these things. But Jesus waited till the night before he died for the big reveal. The new covenant is here. And the sacrifice, it's going to be himself. His is the blood that's going to be the seal of this new covenant. Jesus is also saying to his disciples that his earthly ministry, his mortal ministry, is about to come to an end. Right? We know it was the last night of his life. The disciples didn't know that. But this is the meaning behind this sort of cryptic phrase when Jesus says, I'm not going to eat bread or drink wine again until the kingdom of God is here. What he's saying is, 
you've been following me for three years now and you've been waiting to see when's it going to be, when's it going to be? Now it's going to be, right? The next time that he comes to eat, he's going to be raised from the dead, right? The, the, the breakfast meal that we see on the shores of Galilee, the fish that he eats in the upper room, he eats again. But it's when the kingdom of God is here now, when death has been conquered, when he's been raised from the grave. So he's, he's giving his disciples the, the heads up. This is it. This is the culmination of why Jesus has come. He explains through the Eucharist that the death he's going to die is a gift. It's an offering at multiple levels, right? It's an offering of obedience to the Father. Right? That's what we see in Gethsemane. Not my will, but thy will be done. But it's the, the, the full direction of the offering. It's also towards us, right? This is my body given for you, right? His death isn't the meaning of his death is that it's for us, right? It's for us in our place. It's substitutionary. He's dying the death that we would deserve to die because of our sins. And he's dying for us, not only to alleviate the penalty that would be coming to us, but to, as the means by which he could offer us his life. And, and this is why, again, how the, the Eucharist is the explainer of the cross Jesus didn't die 2,000 years ago and then, well, that's it. He died 2,000 years ago and was raised again so that we could participate. The old English word for participate was have communion with his own life. He's giving his body. He, he speaks very mystically in the Gospel of John. He says, unless a, seed goes into the, unless a seed goes into the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. By Christ dying and being raised from the dead, we are able to participate in his divine human life. How? By actually eating his body. By actually being nourished by the flesh that was given for us and was raised from the grave. This is my body given for you. Communion shows us that the death of Christ is something for us to participate in. Right? Like that great prayer in Philippians um, where Paul prays that I might know Christ and, and come to share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Right? It's a participation, not just us receiving the benefits, but also in the very receiving of the benefits, having our life being transformed to look more like his life, more self-giving, more loving, more others-oriented. Take, eat, this is my body given for you. The weight of his words are even clearer and stranger in Greek. The word this, it's tra- you could translate it, this thing, tutos. This thing is my body. And he doesn't say this is a metaphor for my body, or this is a, a symbol for my body if you receive it. He, he just says very simply, this is my body. I think this actually would have been a relief in some ways to the disciples who would have had ringing in their ears ever since they heard it, the sermon that's recorded in John chapter 6, unless you eat my flesh, you have no life in you. They would have just been sitting with that, like, how are we going to fulfill that teaching? How are we going to eat his flesh? And then all of a sudden he institutes this meal, and it's like, oh, (laughs) okay, we're going to eat the bread, and in a spiritual, which remember for Christians means more real than material, in a spiritual way, we're going to be able to 
eat his flesh, to be participants in his divine life. The Eucharist explains the cross. The Eucharist, every celebration of it, of course, the first Eucharist, it was preemptive explanation of Jesus' death the next day. But every Eucharist since has been looking back, right? The fulcrum of human history is Christ's death on a cross. And every Eucharist we celebrate, including tonight, is a looking back to the cross. And actually, not just a looking back, but a bringing forward of the sacrifice of the cross. Right? That because Jesus is risen from the dead, his resurrected glorious body is now made available to us to receive somehow in a mysterious way. We don't know how it works. How does his body in heaven connect with bread? No theologian has ever answered that. There's always been a childlike faith that just says, Jesus says, this is my body. Okay, I'll believe it. That's how the church has always received this teaching. When he says, do this in remembrance of me, that with the Eucharist, it actually brings us every time to the cross. It is a fresh explanation of the eternal sort of ripple effect of the cross to us in the present. It's not a coincidence, of course, that... um, that the Lord instituted this meal on Passover, right? The Jews right now are in the midst of celebrating Passover, right? The Passover that Jesus himself instituted as a a picture, a a prophetic symbol of his death that would would come. And just as in the Old Covenant, there's the meal, and and then the next day, the deliverance from death. You see the connection, right? So Jesus gives us this meal, and he does it the exact night before he dies, no sooner, no later, as a way of saying, Look, remember, Jewish brothers, what happens when a Passover is instituted the next day is when it takes effect. So we receive this communion as a way of, it's integrally linked through this Passover connection, the meal and the sacrifice. The meal explains the sacrifice and brings that sacrifice to us. I love how we heard in um, uh, 1 Corinthians that are actually, it's a, actually, it's a few verses earlier than the reading that we heard tonight, but it says that we participate in the sacrifice, right? The sacrifice was made once and for all on the cross 2,000 years ago. But through communion, we get to draw near as if we were there with Mary and John, right? Weeping with gratitude and pain and love and joy kind of all mixed into one. The, the triduum, these three days, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Vigil, it's such a weird mix of emotions, and it should be that way, right? Because the kingdom of God is getting established and breaking open afresh to our minds, even as we live into it in the present. To understand the cross, we need the Eucharist. To understand the cross, Jesus gave us the Eucharist. So that um, our being saved by him isn't just a matter of ideas. It's not just think this thing and get the ideas right, although it's important to understand God's work rightly. It's actually far more real than that. It's he gives himself to us so that we could eat his flesh, that he could, as we pray in the Eucharistic prayer, dwell in us. That's not a metaphor. It's real. The Son of God himself, through communion, comes to dwell in us to make up his home in our hearts afresh. As Christians, he already, his Our heart is already his residence, right? We are already his own. But in Eucharist, 
in receiving of communion, we get to commune with him afresh. He gets to sort of become more present as our divine guest inside our souls. There is, of course, the one big if, and with this I'll end, it's the warning that we hear in 1 Corinthians. If we come to this meal with faith, right? it's not magic. It's a terrible mistake to mistake the sacraments for magic. What separates it from magic is that God asks, actually demands our conscious, our participation in what we're doing, that we would discern the body, that we wouldn't just come shuffling through a meal, that we would recognize. And that's part of why there's all this liturgy and ritual built up around communion, so that you can't miss that this is a regular meal, right? In the early church, you can imagine them gathered in an upper room, you know, having a glass of wine, eating some vegetables, and, and then saying, having communion, and it's like, hey, is this a meal? Is this the Eucharist? The liturgy makes this much more plain for us. But it's still important that we come with faith, saying, yes, Jesus, I, I long for your salvation. I long to be brought nearer to you. I long for the merits and mercies that flow forth through your blood. That's what I want. Please, come and make your home with me again. If we come in faith, he has promised to always meet us in this holy meal. Amen.